Hi folks and welcome back to Reload Podcast. I'm Connor McCann and joining me as always are Lee Maxwell and Nigel Lamont. You're joining us on episode 28 and we have a very exciting guest for you guys this week and we're chatting to Zach Martin, a drag racer from Maine, USA. Um, we have our usual news, we cover relationship breakdowns, dodgy repairs and more. But before we get into that, let's see what's new with us. So Nigel, do you want to kick us off? Um, I'm making friends and influencing people in my current employment, keeping uh, food off the shelves in Northern Ireland, so I've had no time to work in cars, I'm afraid. So you're the you're the problem in this country, are you? Apparently so. So the, so the lorry drivers that grab by my, by my throat uh, accuse me of. You'll be taking backhanders in no time. I can't wait. I'll, I'll maybe get something built. All these cars will be looking good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cover up for you, don't worry. No, um, I haven't been up to anything, to be honest with you. It's just the shifts have been crazy the last couple of weeks. So this I time. noticed you posted like two separate posts of your car saying, my car is really dirty, and then like the next day, still dirty. <laughs> it's, it's still dirty. <laughs> I, just, I, come home from, I come home from work now and just go, meh. It's that time of year as well, though, and it has been wet and shitty and dark, and you're just kind of thinking to yourself... Why am I doing this? Yeah. Here, before I forget, did we say Happy New Year to the listeners in the last episode? I think we did. Do you want to say Happy New Year just in case we didn't? Happy New Year. There we go. <laughs> That's it covered. And if we did, that'll do for next year then. And blame my dementia if we have, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm getting there, but you're full blown. Oh, thanks. Excellent. <laughs> Lee, what about you? What's happening? Kind of same. Not much. It's been pretty busy with work. We were starting to clear out the workshop again today in preparation for A, partly the new garage, and B, because I really want to get the Jetta in and sorted. And I've said that I don't know how many times now over the last few weeks and months, but I really want to get the Jetta sorted. Well, I think watching Karsten on the lockdown logs last night kind of gave me some inspiration to be like, I need to get the Jetta on the road. Well, there's one person who is at fault for you not having the Jetta on the road at the minute, and it's yourself. Do you know why? Uh, no, there's two people. No. It's both of us. Uh, <laughs> if you were strong enough to carry that saw today, it'd be empty. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not as strong as you, okay? <laughs> These are weak women, Nigel. Dear, dear, dear. They're terrible. Blame just, fucking just, Arlene. We're in lockdown. We can't call anybody to come and help us. True. Just on the topic there, you mentioned the lockdown logs. Um, I was going to say later on, but I'll just mention it now. We've started season two of lockdown logs and... This will be going out on Wednesday, so this is Saturday. What date was it yesterday? 16th, 17th? Yeah, 16th. We we're, recorded a lockdown logs on Instagram Live TV with Kirsten Patterson, a um, young woman from County Down, and she has a ridiculous collection of classic Audis. And we've done a, I think it's an hour long, the sort of chat we had, and she walked around all her cars, and people in general were just, wow, some collection. Basically. Yeah. Kirsten's been a long time listener of us and I think she was there pretty yeah. much from the start and the collection yeah. of stuff that she has about her between her and her dad is insane there's quattro turbos, there's GTs if you're into old Audis you really should check it out that Audi 50 is just brilliant I love it yeah, she hates me calling it a polo but yeah I love it <laughs> I, I slipped up last night and I says go back to the polo I mean the Audi 50 <laughs> yeah she doesn't take that well but no the lockdown logs is good good to have them back yeah with a couple of people lined up coming up, so uh, we'll just see how long lockdown lasts for and see how long we can go with this. <laughs> That's it. This, this season could be a year long. We've done 15 in season one during the first proper lockdown. 15, I counted it. It doesn't even seem that many. Yeah, and I think that was more to do where the place was completely locked down. I think this time around, 
People are still sort of working, I think. Yeah, know? it's not as strict this time around. It's lockdown, Diet Coke. That's it. So if anybody doesn't know, any new listeners don't know what we're talking about, it's an Instagram live video with some of the listeners and people walking us around their cars, what they have project-wise or finished cars, and it makes for some good viewing, especially when you're lying up at night in lockdown and can't go anywhere or do anything. What, what about yourself, Connor? Anything new with you or just... For myself, not so much, giving Lee a hand clearing out the workshop. I did learn a few things in from the last episode, and one of our listeners who for the sake of his job, will remain nameless. He messaged to say that they had an electrical 4 before in for warranty work, and he knows that I hmm, have a mild uh, disdain for electric cars, shall we say. Do you? And I might have noticed, I might have mentioned it once or twice. So he says, it has stopped charging, it was under warranty, and needed a new battery pack. The battery pack alone at their um, establishment was 28 grand plus labor. Oh, sure. Well, you'd buy two, you'd buy two at that price, wouldn't you? Fuck. So one thing that we were saying was, can you imagine paying for that outside of warranty? You you, you hear story like that, you just have extended warranty, simple as that. You have to, yeah, and pray that it covers it. Some of the extended warranties are a bit of a scam, to be fair. I think I was watching, I think it was Scene 3 Glass YouTube channel, or maybe it was TGE. Ferrari, I think, have a 10-year warranty. Right. I think that's, that's, that's what pretty impressive. From. Yeah. Well, it's because a Ferrari is a car that you only drive, you know, twice a year. Of course, yeah. it's a 10-year warranty. It's a temperamental bitch, though. It probably hasn't even due its first service by then. But you see, I think Ferraris in the 80s and 90s, yes, they were temperamental. But from what I can gather, the latest stuff, I think, is actually meant to be half reliable. Yeah, it's probably more reliable. It's just difficult to work on, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and there's there's something else about Ferraris. I think there's a service service package for so many years as well. Part of the price. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, I th- and I think it was I think it was Tom from TGE because he was talking about owning a Lamborghini SV compared to Ferrari F12. I think it was. He had them both, and he just compared the cost of having one and the Ferrari F12. Okay, you had the finance on it as you did with the SV, but the Ferrari maintenance costs were ridiculously low. That's interesting to hear. Um, That's obviously something I'll never be in my realm or I'll ever be dealing with. But, you know, when you're talking to guys who have owned both those and comparing them back to back, it is interesting. Yeah. Disperses misconceptions on them. We were a bit off track there. Uh, So we were talking about this and the labor costs are in the region of £120 an hour. Then you have the diagnostics and all totals up to a bill of around 30 grand. So that's just nuts. One thing then we were saying as well is obviously big bills aren't exclusive to EVs, but they've had diesel and petrol cars come in with bills in around sort of 15 grand, but nothing as high as this. The second thing I learned then after that was that they also offer finance on labor. So this is not something I was ever really clued up on because I don't own new cars or go to dealerships for warranty work or outside of warranty work. I can't imagine financing labour. Like, to me, you should be financing something that has an intrinsic value that can be resold. I started to see the beginning of this last year. I think I put it up in Instagram stories, and it was a couple of UK car scene clothing accessories. Uh, online stores started offering uh, that Klarna three-month co- finance stuff. On clothing? On clothing. Well, yeah, I've seen that for like... And you're like, it's a fucking t-shirt at fourteen ninety nine, really? Yeah. But 
but but I think that's just the way the society's going. People go, oh, I don't have the money. Oh, four pound a month for thirty years. Yes, I'll have that. Well, this <laughs> <laughs> for thirty years. This uh, this listener again, who shall remain nameless, had said to me, "We're going into the realm of finance and haircuts." But when you say that, it really is like it's crazy. <laughs> Everyone just sees it monthly. Now, obviously, like, I mean, if you have a bill of 15 grand, you're not going to scrap a car that's worth 20 grand or more, you know, maybe, say, 50 grand. But And not everyone has, has 15 grand to hand over for warranty work, but it just would scare me financing that kind of thing. I think that's why a lot of top-end motors end up sort of parked up and abandoned. Yeah, that's why th- the value falls out of them too. Then yeah. people pick them up and don't realise that those uh, issues still cost the same, whether you own it new or 20 years down the line. At like least, though, if it's like a Ferrari, if you don't pay it, they can come and lift the Ferrari. Or if it's a T-shirt, you know, they can come and get the T-shirt back. If it's your haircut, what are you going to do? Come and cut your head off? <laughs> Put the hair back on. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are they taking your house, Nigel? Oh, finance the haircut. <laughs> Some of those places in Belfast, you cut your hair, you would need to finance it. Yeah, there was one opened a month before lockdown, and it was basically, I think it's 65 quid, but it was real luxury. It's across from the Hastings Hotel. I mean, you get, you get a, you get a free lounge. beer for your £65 haircut, come well, off. for goodness sake, why not? Why not? <laughs> was that for men's hair, was it? Yeah, Bedford Lounge or something, I think it was called. That is mental. I used to take great pleasure in going into, it was a girl in Lurgan. It was a it was a women's hairdresser's owned by like a family friend, and I would go in, and I used to get my hair like shampooed, cut, blow-dried, and out the door for £5. And if a woman came in with the same length of hair as I had, like was short, and got all that done, it would be like £25. <laughs> As a, I just had I just had flashbacks there I, of her? I used to get taken yeah I have hair <laughs> <laughs> I used to get taken to my mum's friend to get my hair cut yeah I don't think her specialty was uh, being a barber she was more into ladies hair and uh, I basically came out every time with a bowl cut excellent and when, 90s when, cartons when you're, when you're that age when you're that age you're just you had no choice you had to go there oh yeah you really do <laughs> there's, no, there's no option like it's not like you're going to walk yourself down just reliving, reliving childhood memories there. Reliving the youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've concluded then we're not up to much ourselves then. No. So with Quite that January. then, will we, uh, it is a, it's definitely our January. We move on to our news then. Yeah, um, I'll begin if that's all right. Yes, far away. It was announced there on the 7th of January that uh, the Irish Drift Series, it's run by a guy called Eddie Power and he is busy called time on running the series and the event. Um, he made a post on the the IDS page, basically breaking it down. Just a short statement here. In order to plan and organise a drift series, many financial outlays, insurance, venue deposit must be paid at the start of each year. As you can imagine, committing to these outlays an individual in these current times presents a huge risk. With no clear guidance regarding spectator attendance or the availability of venues, creating a 2021 IDS calendar has also proved increasingly difficult. Sponsor investment and public ticket revenue are essential to make the series viable, and without the guarantee of either, the writing was very much on the wall. It's therefore with massive regret and a heavy heart that I must announce that I will not be running any competitive drift events in the future. 2020 proved one of the most challenging seasons of Irish drifting, but with the help and support of my staff, the incredible fans and our loyal sponsors, we managed to successfully hold one event despite every obstacle we faced. As much as I would love to take a gamble and invest my time, money and energy into the future of drifting, I am sadly not in a financial or personal position to do so. So, RIP the IDAS. It's a hard lesson, that, you know, and like that's a big, big, big event, the IDS. It is. And 
it kind of goes back to what you were joking about earlier about financing them taking your house for financing a haircut but like that guy's personal money is going in to fund that and he needs the the ticket sales and the competitors to draw the money back out to break even before he makes a profit so if you're not doing that you're screwed again i'll i'll call back to running car shows like dubshed you know you have to be sure of your numbers before you commit otherwise you're ending up in trouble yeah it's a serious risk and People look and go, oh, look at the money you're making, look at the money you're making. There's very little to be made on it compared to, you know, what people imagine and certainly not enough that you could run a show the following year and at a total loss and still yeah. be fine with it. There's no way you could do it. So I don't, yeah. like, I feel for this guy. It's obviously, and it seems a bit cheesy, but anybody who's doing things like that as as their job or even as a side job, it's a passion project. You know, you're doing yeah, it because absolutely. you enjoy it. So for and to take that away from that guy is rough. Particularly the drifting scene in Ireland, it's a very close knit um, sort of community, and everybody helps each other out. And just just watching Neil Garrity there and his involvement in the drift scene, like it, it, it's very much a very community based sort of series. And it's sad, like that something like that is taken away. It will be back, but uh, in what form will be? We'll see. Yeah, that's it. And like, I mean, if the government can't tell you what your you know what's going to be happening. In two weeks' time, never mind six months' time, when you're trying to plan in advance, there's no way you can run yeah, it. Yeah, it's just uh, a year of uncertainty. Hopefully, hopefully, sooner rather than later, we'll get back to normal. Hopefully so. Well, my first one then is about Ken Block, and anyone who follows Ken on Facebook might have noticed that his relationship status has changed, and he is no longer in a relationship with Ford. Oh dear. Oh dear, indeed. So, it's not all bad news. Ken came out and said that it was amicable, then followed up by Ford CEO Jim Farley. Jim Farley sounds like a name of a guy down the street, not of a CEO of Ford, which is a strange one. (laughs) He Um, probably has a granda from Cork. Probably, yeah. He does sound very uh, blue-collar. So, (laughs) it was an exclusive 10-year partnership, and it has come to an end. There's good and bad to this. I imagine what is happening is Ford are tightening the purse strings. Everybody's bound to be at this stage, and if they're paying Ken to mess about on TV and drum up numbers, someone, whether there's intrinsic value to it or not, someone is looking at that going, why are we doing this? I think it's a similar line to the whole Audi Volkswagen motorsport uh, motorsport thing. Tightening a string stroke electric's the future. Is Ken Block really what we want to be looking as our future? You know, petrol... Does it fit the image? Yeah. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what way Ford target the youth now oh yeah because ford's ford's youth scheme kind of thing like you look at who is driving and we've joked about this before the youth in this country are driving fiesta sts apart from my granny your lee's granny's even driving a fiesta st (laughs) i'll granny block um granny block granny from the block (laughs) granny from the block (laughs) so the big question is who's he going to go to or where does he go from here yeah so Mm. i was kind of thinking about this and thought jim canna 11 Nigel, you had said there was a strange. It was strange that he so tied in with Monster, yet Red Bull was all over this with Pastrana. Yeah, were we looking at the wrong partnership? Is he yeah. going to go back to Subaru? Because that was, yeah. uh, as we know, Jim Kana is Hoonigan, which is part of Ken. Ken came from Subaru. Ford actually stole him off Subaru, so he could end up going back. People have sort of speculated too. He posted recently on his or his Instagram. There was an S one Quattro, and he says this is one of his all time favorite rally cars. And now he may be able he may be able to own one with not being tied to Ford. The only problem right. is you have brought this up earlier there, Nigel, that it doesn't really fit Audi and Volkswagen's image at the minute with dropping no. motorsports. 
But mm. can you imagine like the uh, the Hoonicorn version of an S1 Quattro? Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> In fact, just on that topic, Darren McNamara is building an S1 drift car. Have you seen that? Yeah. It um, looks mental. I see I seen that in the juice box vlogs. They were in uh what do you call it? Group B.ie, the fabrication company down Oh yes. Yeah, I know I know who you mean now, yeah. I think they're building it for him, as far as I know. It looks it looks like an S one quattro on steroids and it has a huge, huge wing on it. The only thing is for drifting that thing I would be so worried about tapping a wall. Aye, uh, that would be a, a dear wing to replace. It was, yeah. <laughs> Ford then our, on their most recent Hoonicorn one, there was Hoonicorn versus the world we talked about before. They had the last Hoon with the Hoonicorn. Does that mean Ford's taking the Hoonicorn back? Because it was a sort of a send-off to the Hoonicorn, so I don't know where they're going with that. Ken's own yeah. car collection, he has the Hoonicorn, which is a 65 Mustang, or parts of it anyway. Uh, funny you should say that there. I find it strange the, Hoonic- the Hoonicorn just came out in special occasions, but the last couple of months... Hunicorn versus the world he's just absolutely launching it flat to the tin yeah do you think this has been a sort of he knew the writing was on the wall he's determined to blow the engine up raising stuff yeah possibly <laughs> you don't have to worry about it then so is, I just I just cannot get over the noise of that thing in them videos it's oh it's just crazy mental. so it's actually his car collections is forward heavy he's a Mark V Escort Cosi on top of that uh, the Huna truck is a 77 F150 he's a Mark II Escort he's an RS200 he has a 2017 F-150 Raptor. He has an ST rally car. And like all these cars are very much in his brand and his style. So mm. it'll be interesting to see what he goes to after this. Because he's definitely going to put his stamp on whatever he gets. Yeah, for sure. So the latest news, January 13th, the BBC came out with a, a story. And called it the Brexit Dividend. Um, speeding tickets and other fines for motor offences issued to British drivers in the EU and vice versa can no longer be f- enforced at the end of the Brexit transition period. UK's departure from the bloc means 2015 EU directive cro- covering cross-border exchanges of information relating to traffic offences, allowing EU countries to trade motorist data and send out penalties no longer applies. Happy fucking days. <laughs> No. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's an NI Ireland agreement. I was oh, just about to say them. that. What way is that gonna be? Does that mean that the South is a, a lawless wasteland again for ourselves? What do you mean again? <laughs> the first thing I thought of when I read this here was gumball free for all for the Brits. Also very true, yeah. <laughs> or vice versa, whatever way you want to look at. Yeah, if they want to come here. Yeah. I don't know. I had this thing in my head for years. It was like as soon as I crossed the border, no matter what I was in, it was like the speed limit doubled. You know, you could take your seatbelt off. You could do whatever you want. No, no rules applied. Yeah. Just an interesting takeaway fact from this here. In 2019, France registered nearly half a million driving offences by British drivers, which totaled to £60 million. So France will be losing out on that. Fuck off, <laughs> you frogs. <laughs> <laughs> but here, what does that mean now? Will they jail you if they get you? I don't, yeah, yeah, they're going to be pretty hard on you then. Like, you're not going to let you go until they've processed you, whether it's a on-the-spot fine or you're going to court. Extended but, holiday uh, in France. Oh, sorry, sorry, on down the article, British drivers can still be issued on-the-spot penalties if caught by the police, but the fines will no longer be sent on returning home. This is going to be like the guard all over again. So, going to be backhanded. Smokey and out. the Bandit, Smokey and the Bandit, catch me. <laughs> Keep her lit to hit Spain. <laughs> so, there you go. That's another wee story for you. Uh, so my first piece of news is around the Dakar rally, a little bit of a callback to the the article or the, the episode that I did a few weeks back. So 
big news is Stefan Peter Hansel has achieved a record extending 14th Dakar first place, which is like crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the guys that you covered in the article when you when you done the topic on it. It was a, a big name that kept cropping up. So yeah, well done to him in one of the mini um mini X cars. Uh, there was a bit of slobbering going on, seemingly, between Alataya and him, and he was saying that, oh, the rules are favoured towards these buggy-style cars or something. Uh, and I think then Peter Hansel came back and said, not Peter Hansel, the, the hardest thing to say in the Northern Irish <laughs> accent. <laughs> Peter Hansel. <laughs> He's, yeah, we have just renamed him from Peter Hansel to Peter Hansel. <laughs> Peter Hansel. <laughs> said uh, that it wasn't that at all and that he had lost the rally long before that and it was down to his ego so it was a bit of, bit of drama going on which was good saucer, saucer of milk with that meow <laughs> <laughs> and then I was watching um, some of the other bits and pieces as I went along uh, Chris Meek and some of the KTM guys and stuff Toby Price was having some difficulties with the new rules that I had alluded to whereby you only allowed certain a number of tire changes and there's some stages where you can't make any repairs and things. So there was a great video he put up of, I think it was stage eight, where his tire was like literally ripped in half and off the rim. This was on one of the bikes, wasn't it? On the KTM. And he was literally cable tying it back on to be like, going to try and do the stage, see how I get on. He actually managed to complete the stage and come second. I, come I mean, if you watch this video you and see the state of this star, you'll think, how did he even get onto the stage? Never mind, finish it. And then, unfortunately, on the ninth stage, he had a bad crash, broke his collarbone and stuff, so that ended the rally for him. Nothing to do with the tyre, no. No, this was a different... <laughs> this was the next stage. You should have seen this tyre, Nigel. It was like someone caught it. If you imagine a circle, and then you cut through it, and you could open it out straight. It was split mm-hmm. right through, and he cable-tied it back onto the, onto the wheel. And kept the tube in it and completed the stage. It was absolutely nuts. Like Northern Irish farmer would be proud. Yes. <laughs> Chris Meek must have had a hand in that. Yeah. I think he ran out of fuel in one stage or something to this say, no? He's a man that had a lot of things happen to, don't they? He? he never has any luck. No. Um, my next one then is regarding Rally Ireland, WRC Ireland. And a few episodes back we'd said part of our news was that WRC was coming back to Ireland and Northern Ireland. And unfortunately, it is cancelled. So, for anyone that knows, rallying is an absolute religion here. You talk, one of the main things about it is local government have the power to close the roads. So, it makes for some amazing tarmac stages. Recently, we thought the biggest thing in rallying was coming to our shores again, and it is no more. So, Rally GB have been a firm fixture on the WRC circuit from it started, except for one year. And it was always mainly ran in wheels and gravel stages. And unfortunately, they wanted to move it to Northern Ireland because of the lack of support for local government over there. Mm-hmm. And Rally GB failed to convince Tourism Ireland that it was going to be a good investment. And they did basically Tourism Ireland said, sling your hook, it's not happening. And they couldn't raise <laughs> the money for it. So the Belzins have got it. And the town of Eep, as Lee has informed me, is pronounced, not Ypress, um, <laughs> has stolen it from us. And this actually is an existing rally stage, so it's part of the European Championship and is now part of the World Championship, so fair play to them. And unfortunately, their gain is our loss. Yeah. Funny you should mention that. I was reading a thing online the other day about the Brazilian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. um, uh, Interlagos, 
Apparently yep. there's been some um, corruption behind the scenes uh, and a judge has actually suspended the, con- the F1 contract at Interlagos. If you could see my face now, I am shocked. <laughs> Shock horror. Um, corruption in South America? I never heard never of it. Never would have thought of it. So seemingly there was a, an existing deal that had been made in Bernie Eccleston's time that had now come to an end and they had renewed the contract, but there was all this behind-the-scenes wranglings of money that in, on the, under the old contract, the city or the whatever, the local council or whatever, had never had to pay any money, and now they were suddenly having to pay all this money to have the Formula One. Awful so nice was all So the, this judge has said, okay, we're cancelling this until it's looked into a bit further. So watch this space for... merely resting in my account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it would be a big deal, obviously, in the F1 world if there was no Brazilian Grand Prix or if it had, it, the speculation would be then they would have to move to Rio or somewhere instead. Yeah, and that's like a, an iconic stage, you know, with yeah. circuits infamous. So the next story is about Bridgestone, the tyre manufacturers, picking on the little guy. <laughs> it was a BBC headline, or story, sorry. And I love the tabloid title, Little Guy Flat After a Bridgestone Row. Oh, trust the tabloids. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy started a flooring firm from his garden shed while furloughed. Said he was ordered by ja- tire giant Bridgestone to change his name. Andy Bridgewater said he put all his money into setting up Bridgestone Designs two months ago, but is being accused of trademark infringement. He said the similarity was pure coincidence when he used part of his surname and part of his best friends. Bridgestone said it awaited a response from Mr. Br- Bridgewater from Herefordshire. So yeah. Nice one, Bridgestone. Wise up. <laughs> that's that's a bit of a an overstretch, isn't it? You'd imagine. Yeah. Unless Bridgestone uh, are going into design prospects the way Porsche did, I can't imagine it happening. Like. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They've got the lawyers, so I think we'll all know who's going to win that one. Oh, of course. Yeah, that'll be a settler to court. Basically, go fuck yourself. I think he's going to have to change his company name. Basically. He'll be uh, Stonebridge. Yeah. My next one then I have is have any of you guys seen the Renault Five EV concept? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely love this thing, which is so out of character for me. <laughs> so Renault recently announced they're going to plan to launch seven fully electric vehicles by 2025, which initially to me, I was like, oh, five or six years away. And I go, hang on, it's 2021, that's four years yeah. away. So it was previewed last week, the design, and it's the redesign of the iconic Renault 5. So Renault 5 was just everywhere in France and all over Europe. I think they might have sold it in the States as well. But most of what we would know it for is the turbo versions, Renault 5 Turbo and the Turbo 2s, the mid-engine wide arch rally cars. Yeah. I'm just looking at a picture of it here, like the, the rear end of it, you know, the sort of angled sloped rear hatch and the lights at the front. I would say that'll be a popular car when it comes out. Yeah, I think they've really, like, they've really hit the nail with this thing. Like some designs, like some kind of redesigns of old cars work really well. The likes of like when they brought the Mini out, I'm sure like, actual mini enthusiasts hated the modern mini but as a casual observer like myself and probably you guys i think that the first iteration of the modern mini was really good i thought the new battles were cool too yeah when they first came out yeah. they were old school new school nice to in fact the third the mark ii new battle or the mark three battle i guess it's even better is, was really nice i really liked it the fiat 500s as well and then some are an absolute miss like the puma that we talked about recently oh my god puma pants puma pants but <laughs> this uh this rental five is so good and as you said Nigel, it's like the boxy design yeah. the tall rear lights the way the sloping glasses at the back and the square it's front ju- lights uh, 
it's just full throwback. Like it is, yeah. I think it's absolutely amazing and fair play like, to them for embracing it. Who would have thought we would be applauding the new Renault electric car, the Honda? What do you call the wee Honda? A Honda E, is it? Honda E, and I have to say, I like the ID four or ID three as well. Yeah. No, do you know what I think it is? It's they're moving away from that futuristic sweepy design that all the EVs are going towards and they're doing their own yeah. thing. Well, in this case, they're very much doing their own thing because they're going back to their old designs. But I think a lot of a lot of car manufacturers 10 years ago said, right, those are e-cars and just started creating these blobby, ridiculous looking cars. Yeah, like, that you could, like it didn't look like a normal internal combustion yeah. car. It looked, you could tell that there was something odd about it. And I think they finally twigged here. If we sort of make these look half normal, people will like them better. Aye, yeah, I would imagine so. So no fair play to Reynolds if they've really nailed it with that one for me. I find it broken down at the side of the road very soon. Looking good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you any more there, Nigel? That's me. I, I have one last one. You out, Lee? I'm out. I do. Just to finish up then, I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but there's been a... The Porsche 914 has been reborn. So the 914 was the always unloved classic Alongside the 911, they were kind of the poor man's entry into a Porsche, the, the 1800 flat four Volkswagen engine from the air-cooled cars, and they sort of were a bit lackluster. It's only really in recent years people have started jumping on them, probably because the price of 911s are through the roof now. So a company called 1511 Racing are remanufacturing them. They're taking the original cars and basically upgrading them in every way possible. As of June 2021, you can own one for a snip at £230,000. I'm not sure how long. Jeepers, <laughs> One good thing about them, they are coming with the 3.4 flat 6 from the first generation Cayman. So you're going to be seeing 290 horsepower plus, depending on what modifications they do. Brembo brakes, Recaro's, 18-inch first wheels. So it is kind of taking the original car and modernizing it, much like we talked about Renault doing before. And yeah. it's actually kind of a throwback to a question from one of the listeners, Anthony underscore M85, had said to us, you know, what kind of cars would you like to see reimagined in modern form? And this really is one of them. These cars... Like the, the, sorry, the 914 when it came out had a really pathetic 1.8, didn't it? It did, yeah. And, like, they were just so lackluster. The original car had an OEM target top, and they've kept that, but they've remanufactured it in glass. So they're, they're saying this is to keep the feel of having the target top open at all times. You can keep it closed, but it feels like a convertible, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, I'd be interested is, is to see Is that an American out. company, is it? I'm not going to answer that because I don't know. Right. <laughs> I should know, but I can't remember. I did. I, in, I the imagine, I imagine off it of another company. <laughs> yeah, those are quite popular now in America as opposed to here, to be fair. Well, that finished up then. We'll move on to YouTube. Nigel, have you anything for us there? You're the YouTube king. <laughs> well, not not at the minute. I haven't been watching a terrible lot of YouTube, but um, just a follow-on from, I think, the last episode, I recommend watching Mike Burroughs and Stanceworks YouTube channel. Yes, and I, I chatted, watched it myself. I chatted uh, about his yellow 308 GTB um, that he was doing an engine swap on. We talked and talked, saying, you know, what'll he do? And we're thinking, America, America. Completely wrong. He's K-swapping it, a K24 engine, uh, and turbocharging it. Yes. I can't wait to see that. I, I thought it was hilarious. When he released the video saying he was doing a K-swap, I immediately went to Google to see if I could see Ferrari owners', owners reactions in the forums. <laughs> That's a good idea. And there's a there's a thread on, I think it's ferrarifans.com or something. And it's basically the first three or four pages are go, oh, Mike Burroughs has bought this here, blah, 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 blah. Um, he's going to take the engine out and put something else in. 
and all the purists are going, well, he could have tuned it and made it, you know, 300 break and blah, blah, blah. And then the video drops and then the thread just completely goes to hell going, what has he done? You know, this is sacrilege. <laughs> that was a bit like, um, oh God, it could be eight or nine years ago now, a very famous local modifier, John Payton, done his uh, Porsche 964 with the hydraulics in it. Do you remember it, the silver that's one? Right. Oh, flip, that's right. And it started doing the rounds and all the stance pages and everybody really enjoyed it. And then it got on to, I think it was Piston Heads and then the P car possibly owners for him and it I think it got on I think it got on the piston heads because it was involved in the dubshed trailer is that what it was somebody had spotted in yeah. it and it yeah. like they did not like that car like it was just they wanted to burn it yeah it was very very unpopular but such a cool yeah. car but nobody all those guys don't understand it's like oh my god it's on hydraulics imagine if you could touch a button and lift it to the height you actually wanted it oh god but do you want to hear some? the same fellas will happily let a man from Japan come over with an angle grinder and put arches on <laughs> yeah that's right true god I so, hate those cars you know like yeah. yeah I'm sure I'm sure their arches are pristine after he's been gouging at them yeah Mr. I'd rather RWB. John I'd rather let John at my car than them fucking idiot yeah yeah, no, the K24 Turbo and that thing is going to be class because I think he dynoed it and it made 160 horsepower. Yeah, I think they're around nearly 200 standard or something. Yeah, K, K24 should be just over 200 standard and the Turbo will probably push into easily into the 400 mark. I think he mentioned he was hoping for a five. Awesome. He's, he's getting help through his friend, I forget his name, but he does a lot of K-swap Turbo stuff. So Yes, I think he turns up in his NX or NSX at one point as well, doesn't he? But he, he justified it in a certain extent. There was a lot of discussion about weight. The fact that it was a not an easy swap, but it was a far better chassis complementary swap. Like a you know, big muscle engine will be um, longitudinal, whereas the K's is transverse. You know, it all sort of made sense. So it did. Yeah, it's it's going to sit and weigh very much the same as what it did before, except have yeah. ridiculous power. And he's kind of keeping oh, everything in front of the axle, which keeps your weight balance well. Yeah, and then uh, he he broke it down in cost too because he talked about the ten thousand pound ish you should get for the replacement engine, and he says that should cover the building of it basically. Yeah, why would you not? And do you know what the perfect yeah. justification is for it? It's his car. That it's like literally yeah. exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. You don't need to justify anything. It's your car. Do whatever the fuck you want. Exactly, and that goes for anybody listening to no matter even what we say. If you want to put a big old <laughs> diesel in it, I mean. If you want Have to put, at it. If you want to put wind deflectors in your car... Don't. <laughs> don't. Well, I, I, I have one thing that I won't let fly, and that's people at TDI Corrados. TDI... Oh, Lee was close to that. No, no, not TDI. 1.6 straight diesel. That's what I'm going to do to the Corrado. <laughs> that's going to happen. I won't let it, Nigel. Don't worry. Please don't. Burn it. <laughs> um... So my YouTube one then this week is rather oddly for me. I think I've been dropped in the head this week. Is EV related. Ritz Rebuilds. Who you are, are you? Change, man. Who are you? <laughs> no, you will see why. What have you done with Connor? <laughs> so Ritz Rebuilds is heavily into his Tesla stuff and is a big advocate for the right to repair issues that Tesla always fight everybody on. He wants people to be able to repair their cars and not have to bring it to Tesla, where Tesla essentially have the ownership of your car, even if you've paid for it or not. So he recently started dabbling into internal combustion cars and has now combined the two. So he got a Tesla Model S and he got a Camaro SS and he took the 6.2 litre LS3 V8 from the Camaro 
I saw this. Anna's putting it into I was Because I was the thinking there, S. what did I see there recently where somebody swapped a big American engine into a Tesla? It must have been this. So it had been attempted before. There was a guy who had mocked it up and got it in. And it kind of done the rounds on the internet about three or four years ago, but it never ran. This is going to happen. 426 horsepower. Getting the engine in wasn't the issue. I think there was like a strut brace across the two top towers that needed to come out. We obviously can re remanufacture it, it was removable. But the big issue is the drive tunnel, the, tr- the yeah. tunnel for the gearbox. So Roland cut out the Camaro one and welded in. You can't because the Camaro's steel and the Tesla's aluminium body. So it's going to uh. be custom stuff. And the same with the diff at the back. There's no room for it. So you're going to have to make room for it. But this is going to be one for me to watch because this is uh, a big fuck you to the EVs <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> but... No, I, I look at this. There's people of LS swapped the Toyota Prius as well before. And it's just, it's amusing because it is that kind of like a cheeky sort of finger up to the people that buy them. But at the same time, it's another random engine swap. If it was going into, like if somebody's putting an LS into a Nova, I'd be like, yep, I'll watch that. I don't know about you, but I've noticed more and more electric cars. And you know how I've noticed them? You're walking around a shopping, uh, like a Tesco's car park. And you nearly and you get, get run over. I nearly get run over. You look behind you and there's a car behind you. Yeah. Back when I worked on the roads, it was uh, it was an occupational hazard. You go across the road and there's a digger going beside you and you kind of listen out for cars as well. You take a quick glance and you go to step out and this thing whizzes past you. You haven't heard. And you're like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> This is why we need the TIE fighter noises. You're not going to step in front of a TIE fighter. I do agree oh, with that. Oh, it'd be so cool to have TIE fighter noises as you drive along. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Nerd alert. <laughs> That wrap us up for YouTube then? Yep. Yep. That's all this week. So we'll kick off into our interview then for the week. And our interview this episode, as I said before, is with Zach Martin, who's a drag racer in the States. I'm actually really excited for you guys to hear this. And although we have a country that is rich in history and motorsport, drag racing is seriously lacking here. The guys who organized events before, friends of ours, Ben Lawrence, even with the Beatles, they've done the best job they could do. But unfortunately, you're only working with what you have regards the venue, surface, prep that you can do. You know, if you're working off an airfield, it's still someone's airfield. Yeah. So America's insane for drag racing and it makes sense to go there to speak to someone. But Zach competes in a front wheel drive class, which is on the more obscure side of things. So it really interested me to hear it. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. So Zach Martin, all the way from Maine, USA. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we kick off about drag racing, I just want to get some background info on you and how this all started for you. So what was your introduction to cars? Uh, so my first car was an 87 GTI 1.8 liter 16 valve. Um, it was actually my brother's car. I had a you know a ton of issues with it. and uh, So he had given up on that when my dad bought him another vehicle. And uh, I, I kind of took it over and got a Haynes manual and kind of went through it and and that ended up being my first car, and I couldn't really afford to pay anybody to fix it at the time because I didn't have a job when I was fourteen. So uh, just kind of learned to uh, learn to work on cars, and that was my first one. So, and was it a family affair with Volkswagens or cars in general, or was this something between you and your brother? Uh, it was just kind of something that interested me, and I kind of grew up racing go karts and stuff like that. So we've always kind of worked on something. It just happened to get passed down to me, and that was the first car I had. So that kind of began the uh, Volkswagen addiction in my life. <laughs> and you've been a Volkswagen kid since then? Yeah, yeah. Um, Not so much in the, the traditional sense of wheels and air, I suppose. 
Well, you know, I, I started with that GTI. Um, I think you guys probably had the same motors, the CIS injection. That's the, right, yeah. The me- mechanical fuel box thing. And that kind of drove me up a wall. Those things are notoriously unreliable. Hitting the thing with a hammer just to get it to run right. <laughs> <laughs> the fuel box. Um, so eventually I kind of I, I kind of fixed that up and sold it. Um, and the car ended up going to a, a rally school around here over in New Hampshire, actually. But I, I, after that, I, um, I got my first Corrado, which was a G60, which I should have known better there. But Yeah, um, from unreliable to more unreliable. Yeah, actually, it was a pretty good car. I only really had issues with the, uh, the supercharger there. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. And uh, didn't really get into more of the, the drag race and stuff till later on. It was kind of into just kind of streetcar stuff and a little bit more show car life for a while the vortex scene yeah yeah i mean who wasn't on vortex back in the day <laughs> yeah it was guys from over uh, here everywhere everybody was on vortex yeah it's kind of sad that forums have gone away i kind of miss them a lot you kind of lose some of that luster on facebook groups but it's kind of funny you still run across people even today or you <laughs> they're like yeah i was so and so this is my handle on vortex and you're like oh I, you know used to read a, a bunch of your diy threads or things like that um, so yeah, it's still the same community. It just it's changed. It is, yeah. The forums even here as well. There's a lot of good forums have been lost, and a lot of good information on them. Yeah, I mean, it, I kind of pull my hair out now. When, uh, you know, you go into like the the VR6 group, and you know, you have somebody every other day asking what kind of oil they should run in their their turbo car or something like that. Where you know, back in the day, you know, you just search a forum and get your answer in ten seconds. But yeah. The search functions is terrible on Facebook, and then yeah. the, you have the same repetitive questions, and it kind of gets heated. Then, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, like you know, if you were in Vortex back in the day, you know, everybody would kind of lay into somebody for asking a stupid question, and I hate to say that was a good way to learn, but it really was. You know. Oh yeah, you're you're going to learn <laughs> trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, just or you know. You know, you'd have 10 people telling you to use the damn search function. <laughs> yeah, even this morning there, I seen, was it the fluid ampere pulleys you oh, tagged in? Oh, the yeah, endless God, debate. That's, that's, that's a endless debate. And, uh, you know, it works for some people. Most of us experienced racers have uh, seen them come apart on various different cars. And so a lot of us still run the stock pulley. There's, you know, two different schools of thought. And I know what works for us. And, you know, there's a few of us over here making, you know, well into the probably 1300 horsepower at the crank um, on a stock crank on the 12 LV or six. And we don't have problems with them. So nobody yeah. else should then. <laughs> you wouldn't think, but um, it, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of why we still use the stock ones. But it's one of those things I've always kind of believed that the more stock parts you can use, um, you know, there's a lot of hours in engineering that goes into that kind of thing that people don't think about. Um, but you know, aftermarket's not always the not always the best solution. No, definitely not. So here in Ireland, we don't really have any official drag strips as such, or it sort of leads into not being a very competitive sport here. Then it kind of feels like in the states, every town has a drag strip, or at least it looks that way from here. <laughs> A few years back, a bunch of guys who were dragging like hot air cool beetles, they put on events at like airfields and kind of like straight sections of racetracks, 
but the problem is you lead to like no prep or anything like that and it was mainly just fast road cars and kind of drift cars set up for the day so we're sort of moving on to your drag racing career then two things that caught my attention initially was the class that you run in and then the car you're actually running can you tell us a bit about your class yeah so over here um i don't know i know like santa pod and all that stuff over your way the rules are quite a bit different. Like we have the NHRA over here, which is a sanctioning body for a lot of safety rules and kind of what we can and can't run and, you know, different safety things like, you know, cages and, and all that, um, which is pretty standard for different ETs and mile an hour classes. Most of the Volkswagens over here, the com- competitive or high end ones run in a class called True Street, which is a kind of a lower division of a sport front wheel drive. So there's a few different classes that we can run in, and we try to build our cars to meet those rules. So there's a sanctioning body, which is kind of more of a Honda class um, organization called OGS. They kind of came up with the original import rules for sport front-wheel drive, and in sport front-wheel drive itself, you have Super Street and True Street cars, which is essentially they're the same chassis, same rule, but different turbo rules. So when you, you know, I'm sure some of you guys watch like World Cup finals or some of those bigger events that we participate in, you'll see most of us in True Street, which is the more the entry level turbo class. Not that our cars are slow, but um, that's kind of what we all run in. So these are run over a quarter mile, I take it, is it? Yeah, we predominantly do a quarter mile. There is a uh, another Volkswagen series over here called the VW Heritage Series um, that a couple air-cooled guys started. And more recently, um, pulled into the, the water-cooled scene. So there's u- usually four or five events a year, and two are a quarter mile and two are eighth mile. Of course, all the air-cooled cars are rear-wheel drive. Most of them are geared for eighth mile. So yeah, split the point, you know, the advantage each way. Um, if you've ever watched, you know, some of our front-wheel drive cars back half, um, it, it is quite fun. I, I do have some videos on my YouTube channel, um, GoPro footage, uh, racing some of these pro mod beetles, uh, and they leave super hard, you know, real drive slick turbo car. They just, they, th- they three thirty foot really, really hard. And then it's kind of up to us to catch up on the back half. So it makes for some good racing for fans. Yeah. Cause you're two different schools of thought completely between the cars. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of the same here with the, the Oracle Beetles. Like, the get-up-and-go that they have off the line is incredible with the weight over the back axle. Yeah, it's uh, more traditional. <laughs> it's all Volkswagen you guys are racing against then? Yeah, we uh, there's Waterfest over here, which is one of the bigger events that Mike runs. That's um, an all-Euro shootout, so any Euro-bodied car really kind of fits in those same rules but yeah we try to get more and more euro cars in but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of bmws and mercedes and stuff like that that are drag racing these days Um, there's a few but nothing serious yeah most of it seems to be vw or audi powered and you're racing then if you you're competing on the day and then like a seasonal competition as well are you racing times like quickest time on the day or is it a head-to-head knockout yeah, so traditional formats for like a one-day race is usually you'll have uh, two qualifiers, and then they'll build a, a standard ladder. So if you had 16 cars, number one would race number 16, and then all heads up. 
So most of us do heads up pro tree. There, there's all different types of drag racing. I'm sure you've heard of like index racing or uh, bracket racing. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff we do is, you know, here's a set of rules. Here's your class. And, you know, go as fast as you can in that class. That sounds fun. Yeah. It makes for some, uh, like I said, with a, with a heritage series, when you get some of the, the mix in, uh, it is pretty fun for the fans to watch, you know, uh, just because you have two different styles of car and it, it does make for an exciting race. You obviously, you said you were into Volkswagens long before you started drag racing then. What yeah. what kind of gets to that point? Are you street racing to start out, you know, or are you going to like amateur events in your road car or how does it kick off? Yeah, so like I said, I had my first Corrado. And I actually um, competed in some autocross events here in Maine when I was in college, uh, kind of starting out. And then after college, I moved down to Maryland and got my second Corrado. And that was my first VRT. I actually had a, a friend up here, uh, Jake at Running Performance. I bought one of his, his turbo kits back in, oh God, I think that was 2008 or so. Car made about 400 horsepower. I was still more into show cars at that point. Uh-huh. You know, it used to go to H2O and the car was in PVW. So I was kind of along those lines, but would do, you know, some fun highway pulls and stuff like that with friends and roll racing on the street. Yeah. And then uh, down in Maryland, kind of once you get south of the Mason Dixon line, uh, there's not a whole lot of like circle track racing or things like where I grew up here in Maine. Everybody down south drag races. So. One of those things is, you know, when in Rome, so to speak. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> uh, so all my friends drag raced, and um, I lived about 20 minutes from Maryland International Raceway at the time. Um, I was working at a nuclear plant down there. And the thing to do on Friday nights was to, you know, go to the drag strip. So, you know, me being, you know, <laughs> never drag raced, I was like, how hard can this be? You know, you just, <laughs> you know, you just hammer down and roll some gears and you go straight well turns out it's pretty hard <laughs> um like i said my my corrado there it made about 400 horsepower on its first setup you know should have at the time been a low 12 high 11 second car and i think my first time at the track i ran you know a 17 or an 18 second pass and it was you know it's very humbling that's so, a, a big learning yeah. curve yeah I know. I still hear to this day, you know, people think it's super easy to just get in a car and go straight, but it's not. <laughs> the faster you get, the faster everything comes at you. Yeah, so. especially your class with front-wheel drive, you don't have a lot of grip. Yeah, yeah. Well, And, you know, as the technology's gotten better, we've, you know, improved that. You know, front-wheel drive will never have the same advantage as a rear-wheel drive car. It's just, you know, flat-out physics. But, you know, some of the more competitive um Sport front-wheel drive cars like the Hondas and even some of the uh, even some of the Volkswagens now are getting down into the low one four sixty foots. So we're getting them off the line, and you know, mid to low eight second cars are nothing to shake a stick at. It's it's moving. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that that sort of takes us on to what you're actually running at the minute, which is your Mark III Golf. Do you want to give us a bit yep. of a rundown on that? Power figures, torque, your times you're running on it. Yeah. So last year I actually built a whole new chassis. Previous year. I had uh, bought Tim Mullen's old Mark III shell. One of the friends I had met in Maryland at the time, actually, um, he had gotten out of drag racing. And I, I at the time, didn't want to cut up my Corrado. I uh, had the car forever. had some sentimental value to me. So yeah, yeah. Corrado's, people don't think because they're small, but they're notoriously heavy, especially for racing. Mine's a 93 SLC, so it's got electric everything. 
racing that car and street trim with me and it was almost 3,100 pounds. Oh yeah. Um, that's quite a weight. Yeah. I'm not sure what that is in kilos or, or that's whatever. Probably <laughs> eh, 31, about 14 or 1500 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's, it was heavy. Uh, you know, I got that car down to the low tens and street trim and I just, you know, one of those things with racing is you always want to go faster. So saw the opportunity, Tim had gotten out of racing. So I picked up his shell and transferred a lot of my just simply racing components over that shell. It was already caged and everything that it needed. Um, so ran that car for about two seasons, put about 110 passes on it, uh, got it down to eight, seven at world cup two years ago. And on the last pass of World Cup, actually, the subframe ripped out of the unibody. Um, <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever worked on a Mark III, there's four bolts that go up and to the unibody through the floorboards. Yeah, and that actually secures the whole front subframe. I was actually planned on keeping the chassis and um, sending it down to James at Cast System Performance to do the, an upgraded cage because once you go faster than 850 or 180 miles an hour. In the States, you need what's called a 25.5 cage. Um, and that car was only certified to 850 at the time. So uh, we were approaching that and, you know, just peace of mind. I have two kids. And yeah, you want to be. When the truth a... happens, you want more cage than less. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. So anyway, I was getting ready. I actually sent the car down to James and um, he had found most of the damage in the, uh, the unibody section. There was about a 16 inch section behind where the unibody actually connects to the uh, subframe that was just torn right out so so the car itself was uh junked it's actually sitting out behind my garage right now Uh, parts car uh well we stripped it down and luckily another racer um todd pavix who's he runs a 180 mark three over here in the states and makes a ton of power he was getting ready to make this a this is next, you know, next gen race car, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had already trimmed it out, sandblasted it down to nothing. And he offered me the car because he didn't have the time to transfer everything over and was just going to kind of update his old car. So got that, had uh, James put the 25.5 in that, and then got the car back here, um, transferred all of my drivetrain over, made some safety updates. And then uh, Corey here at the Volkswagen Garage, one of my key sponsors, helps out a lot, uh, got the car painted for me. And then got kind of down to the end of the year and was trying to make World Cup Finals, which is the biggest race for us over here. And that got canceled due to the uh, COVID, um, but they changed the event to the Hail Mary. So we still made it down there. Um, Unfortunately, some of that sandblast was still in the chassis um, and came out. So I got parked for the weekend. Car went... 9-1 Nine one and one hundred and sixty three, I think it was on its first pass ever. So yeah, that's pre- pretty good. Pretty good pass considering everything. I had a fiberglass door come off, had my rear brakes lock up. But just you know, new new car gremlins and problems, but um, pretty respectable first time. Yeah, out, um, that was your first one out on the new car, as you say. And I I was yeah. actually watching you that weekend, keeping an eye on it, and yeah. I was. I was gutted for you when I seen that obviously when you launched all the shot blasts that had been left in this shell come out over the track and then was it round about maybe two thirds of the way down the, the actual door the outer skin ripped off? Yeah, about a thousand feet out. I was doing about 160 plus and the uh, the fiberglass doors don't uh, 
Well, on Mark III, the, the door seal is on the outside of the door. Yeah. Uh, like where the windshield meets. So with these fiberglass doors, we run a, we run like a pro mod style latch, but it had come apart and pulled through the door and unfortunately just split the, uh, split the fiberglass door right in half, about a thousand feet out. On your Instagram, you actually have a, like a GoPro inside the car. You can see it happening and it's crazy. It's like, yeah. you just see like a flash from the left-hand side of the car and next thing that it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Once I felt that positive, you know, cabin pressure, I, I lifted too. So. And you still managed a 9.1? Yep. Yeah. So I, I think the car has a, you know, certainly a mid to hopefully low eight next season. That's, that's the goals for next season then? Yeah, yeah. The current record over here um, is, I believe, it's an eight thirty-one, and that was uh, Ed from Force-Fed Engineering. He unfortunately wrecked that car on that pass um, a couple of years ago. But that's still kind of the target. And then you have Ricardo, who's sitting at eight four. His car and mine are pretty similar, but he he just made a slew of improvements too. Yeah, you're, uh, you're chasing these guys, but at the same time, they are also making the improvements as well. Yeah, exactly, but. Um, you know, in True Street, if, if we can get the cars down to, you know, the 8.2, 8.3 range, then, then we're, you know, talking to drivers, the race, who, you know, who cuts a better tree and, mm-hmm. you know, can hit their marks going down the track. Uh, that's kind of been, the, you know, Volkswagens have been so far behind the Hondas, you know, predominantly, just because there's so many more people racing Hondas, you know, you can buy pretty much any part you want off a shelf for a Honda over here. A lot of our parts we have to make. So, so you're at a disadvantage already with that? Yeah, it's just, you know, we're a few years behind. Um, but, you know, we're catching up. It, it just takes, you know, there's, you know, a pretty good group of five or six of us that are attending these events now and, you know, kind of pushing the platforms. And there's, you know, there's a good crop over here, too, of, um, you know, up and coming cars, too. There's a probably you know twelve or fifteen cars in the you know nine second range now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they're chasing you guys. Yeah, it's just you know it just it's good for the community. It's good for it's good for Volkswagen racing over here. Yeah, that's good. It's not yeah. well, it's competitive, yes, but you're not against everyone. It's everyone wants to see everyone succeed. Yeah, it's it's a pretty close close knit group, I would say. And your car then, the Mark Three, obviously it runs a VR6 turbo, and it's a twelve valve turbo, isn't it? Yep, twelve valve. And um, what sort of horsepower did you get in the last on the setup? Um, so over here, um, I was using an inertia dyno. Once you kind of run out of load on the roller, you can't really you know load the car anymore to make any more power. But mm-hmm. I think we we made a thousand forty one on forty pounds of boost. And typically at the track, we'll run fifty to fifty five in high gears. <laughs> so, so I mean, the car is probably making twelve hundred going down the track turned up. And are you guys running like boost by gear, you know, as you're running? Yeah. Yeah. We run boost by gear. Um, kind of one of the things that we've gotten into in the last couple of years, which is kind of what helps the cars get out of the hole is running a rear, rear wheel speed sensor on the, the back axle. So it actually gives you a reference for actual wheel speed. Yeah. Because, because it's not spinning. You know, right. Exactly. And it actually gives you actual road speed. So you can, you know, with the standalone ECUs, you can set, you know, a Delta to, the rear wheel speed versus front wheel speed and that you can have it pull timing until it gets traction and things like that so there's different traction control strategies i know a couple cars use versus time so 
you know, they have it ramp in when they're a second down the track or, or things like that. So there's different strategies, but. So obviously you're saying there about the ECUs planning to getting off the line. I assume you're into like gearbox mods, diffs, tire choice, that sort of thing too. And I assume a lot of it's pedaling off the line too, is it? Um, not really anymore. So at least in my car setup now, I have a, um, a delay valve on the clutch. So it slips, you know, the same way every time. Yeah, and we we monitor that the hydraulic line pressure on that uh, to make adjustments based on how much we want it to slip coming out of the hole. And then I run a uh, a strain gauge on my KDN shifter, which is another company that's helped me out quite a bit over here. They're in Canada, New Brunswick, just next to Maine. Mm-hmm. And so once I leave the line, my foot comes off the clutch, and then I just just grabbing gears. That's incredible. Yeah, that's that's yeah. totally different than I was imagining. Yeah, if you watch some of my in-car videos, you'll see just grabbing the gears and the actual strain gauge on the on the shift knob is what's doing the spark cut. That's nuts. Yeah, some of the launches and stuff. I just can't get over how you guys get off the line. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, well, that's the thing over here. The tracks, too. Like, it's not ra- like racing no prep at an airport or something. That's yeah. a whole different animal. Like, where we race, if, you know, the better tracks, like MIR or some of these bigger events... Like, if your shoes aren't double-knotted and as tight as they'll go, your shoes get ripped off. That's how sticky the track is. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's just nuts. Yeah, it's, it's glue. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fucking crazy. And what what is it? Is it something they put on the tarmac? Yeah, exactly. It's a, a VHT-type product. It's, it's essentially a glue. If you ever watch them on, like, the live stream or whatever, uh-huh. they actually use, like, the... It's almost... Like what you would spray on your garden, like a weed sprayer or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's actual glue, and that's what's on the line. But yeah, it makes sense how you can get off the line so quickly then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that, but it's also, you know, the technology's come so far since 1999, you know, when turbo cars started being a big thing after Fast and Furious. Yeah. I suppose turbo but technology I, and the actual the ECUs you guys are running. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still the only one that's running. I still run VEMS, which is kind of, you know, it's a that's Logtronic, isn't it? Yeah, Kevin at Logtronic. Yeah, yeah, he's a he, you know he was the big one that you know got me as far as he has, and I think I bought his second or third ECU when he he came into business. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good to stick with guys like that who know what they're at. Then you know, there's there's guys that can tune cars, and then there's guys that can track tune cars. Because yeah, it's not the same thing. No, and, and Kevin, Kevin, I'd put up against anybody as far as getting a car down the track and just being able to interpret like real world data. He's very good at what he does. So what kind of weight then have you the car down to? Are you restricted by weight in some of your classes you run or anything? Yeah, so standard over here is 2,400 pounds for sport front-wheel drive. That's true for True Street. Um, depending if you run, you know, there's some some weight penalties if you're running like a nitrous as well or a, a different size turbo, things like that. But the standard is 2,400. Most of the cars are between 24 and 2,500 I actually had to add, uh, I think it was 228 pounds back to my car to get it up to weight. Yeah, that's, that's light. Yeah, the new chassis was trimmed pretty hard, but at least that allows us to put the, the weight where we want it, which is up front. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of a street car you would want in a VR6. Everyone's trying to get the weight to the back to balance the car. You guys are trying to get it up front. Right. We're trying to get as much forward bias as we can. Uh, my car, I, I got it to... Right around 76% on the nose. I think it was like 75.9. 
but you know a lot of the high-end honda guys are running damn near 80 percent front bias That's which kind of leads to a whole different conversation of you know why some of these cars are wrecking now so i think they might start looking at that in the future is there too, such a thing as too much front bias then yeah if you um if you watch the finish line there's a lot of photographers that take pictures down there when you let you know let off the the gas and you go to put it in neutral the slick itself because we only run you know six pounds of air Uh lets down a few inches which upsets the chassis and if you pull the chute at the the wrong time when the chassis is getting let down the actual the rear end of these cars are so light they lift off the ground you know i've seen 10 12 inches Mm -hmm. so you're just on the front wheels and it's ready to spin doing 175, 180 miles an hour without all four tires on the ground is not, <laughs> not a good place to be. No. Um, and you think then that's something they're going to look into for the rules then? Yeah. I mean, some of these, we, we've seen it uh, at, like in some of the higher-end Honda cars. There's a event at OSW here um, a few weeks ago, and we had five cars wreck. And it's just, you know, can't be having that. And not at these speeds. It's not nice to see. No, and some of it is poor, like poor parachute placement and things like that, which you know also lifts their car off the back of the ground. But and where are you looking? Your parachute is it high, low, or does it depend on the car? Um, so James uh, at Cast actually did the math out for me, and mine's placed properly based off of like a seventy-five percent front wheel bias. So there's a lot of maths in this then. Yeah, it's if you look at my chassis, you'll see my parachute's quite a bit higher than than a lot of other ones that's that's the basis for it and i assume that's tied into the roll cage then as well yeah directly into the rear bar that um that comes down to the floor in the back and what kind of speeds or what kind of times are you required then to run a parachute as opposed to normal brakes then so anything over 150 miles an hour all right it's an actual states. terminal yeah. speed then yep yeah 150 and a quarter you need it i think it's i think it's 125 in the eighth mile and what's that sensation like? You know, once you do that for the first time, is it like is it instant? Is it a like a hard hit? Um, it's it's a delayed hit. Um, luckily, a lot of the tracks I race at, I don't need to use it because we have such long shutdowns. Uh, some of the shorter tracks, especially up here in Maine, kind of my local eighth mile track, has a really short shutdown. So if you're not on the parachute and on your brakes as soon as you're going across the line, you're going to have a bad time in the same trap. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's about knowing the track and knowing where you're racing. Um, a lot of a lot of people don't pull the chute, even you know, going 175, 180 miles an hour. Yeah, they don't need it. No, not not when the shutdowns, you know, appropriately long. Uh, you know, any any track that they race the the big NHRA cars at usually has a long enough shutdown that you you know our cars we don't need to pull the parachute. Um, so a lot of people don't just because it's an added risk. Yeah, you're saying they're about them spinning out or wrecking on the finish line. Yeah, yeah, there's that, but it's just it's just another thing to go wrong. So if you can kind of let the car down easy and you know just get on the brakes, you know, less things to go wrong personally. But the more we change the cars, and you know, my rear brakes aren't even tied to my pedal anymore. So <laughs> it's it's things like that that you you just have to know the car and know your situation. Very good, yeah. I take it your, your rear brake sends on like a, a handbrake, is it? Like a staging brake? Yeah, exactly. 
what's on my car for brakes? I have rear Mark IV R32 brakes on the front of my drag car so I can fit a 13-inch wheel. <laughs> yeah, that's, so. well, you measure that in inches, but it's a 256 mil here. Um, yeah. It's not a big disc. No, and that's that's all I have on my pedal. <laughs> so. <laughs> and what are you running on the rears? Is it like some sort of generic disc? You know, is it like a... It's, ju- it's just a stock VR6 brake. Oh, right, right. Yeah, because my wheels on the rear are 15. Yeah, so you're fine there. Yeah. You mentioned earlier then uh, one of your sponsors, Corey Sterling, the Volkswagen Garage, do a lot of work for you yep. paint-wise mechanics. Do you do much of the work yourself? Or are you hands-on with the car? Um, so I, I do as much as I can myself. I'm not I'm not a good fabricator. Um, so uh, I have a couple local guys that help me out with that. Um, Jack Nichols up at Jack Tune does a lot of you know the the fit up stuff with um, you know little brackets here and there, or um, he's done some uh, piping work for me and stuff like that. Uh, Corey's always helped me out with you know getting parts when I need them, and uh, you know lending a hand when he has the time. So yeah, he wouldn't have much time that man. Yeah, no, he's pretty busy, but he uh, he makes time, and I always appreciate it. That's good. Uh, but I, I've got a small garage here at the house with my own lift and. You know, good enough for weekend warrior stuff. Um, Excellent. Definitely appreciate the help when I get it. Yeah, well, that's that's what it's all about. Is there any other form of motorsport you're ever interested in? Obviously, you've done circle racing. Could you see yourself going back to it, or are you deeply embedded in the drag world? Uh, yeah, I'm, I would say at this point, um, if I did anything, it would probably just be a different drag car, just because that's kind of what I'm into. Uh, uh I've always been more into like the street strip type cars. I kind of <laughs> told myself years ago, I would never build a fully dedicated drag car, but you know, <laughs> here, here we are. And, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things where you always want to go faster and you start chasing that, chasing that rabbit. <laughs> and uh, you find yourself with a full blown drag car. Yeah. I think even street cars like that, or like show cars you talked about years ago, you know, yeah. you end up saying, yes, I'll do this or I'll not, I'll not go this far. And you always end up, it's just an absolute rabbit hole. Yeah. My Corrado, I mean, for years, um, I, I, you know, I added to it, my first setup was about 400 and then I got it up to about 550. And honestly, like the most fun I ever had with a car was at, at home. I would put my drag radials on, which are street legal, Mickey Thompson, you know, you know, they wear like crazy, but I would, you know, put those on, throw some tools in, in the hatch, you know, drive it 30 minutes to the track, air, air the radials down, race all night, you know, run. At the time I was running, oh God, low 12s to low 11s. I got the car down that was, it was pretty consistently running 11.3 to 11.5. And then I would just, you know, use the tracks air, air the, air the tires up and, and go home. And eventually I started uh, you know, the magic number, you know, 10, 12 years ago is a 10 second car, right? Uh-huh. Whether it's from Fast and Furious or <laughs> whatever else. But um, so I just, I couldn't get there with the setup I was on. So I was stuck at 11.3 and was like, oh, I shouldn't have to do that much more. So started playing around with different exhaust manifolds and things like that. Before you knew it, we were a little bit further down the rabbit hole than a streetcar and um, I still drove the crowd on the street, even when it made 800 plus horsepower. Um, and it was just, you know, I'd have to trail the car to the track and then change the suspension a little bit to make sure the, the slicks fit. I would have to change my fenders to make sure, you know, the, the, the larger tires would work. Uh-huh. So it, it was a bit of a process to, to race the car. And that's one of the reasons I had switched. 
Yeah, it kind of makes sense. You know, it's getting like at that stage where you're out with the Crado, you're just kind of doing the things to be able to say, yeah, it's still a streetcar. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And that, you know, leads to a whole different things. Now, what's your definition of a streetcar? Yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I can tell you over here in, in Florida, is anything goes land. Yep. Because uh, they don't have an inspection and you stick a plate on it. And, uh, you know, there's different. Over here, depending on you know town you live in, you might have emission standards, and so it's it's not a level playing field, and um, you know that's that'll be a debate for as long as people are driving cars, is you know quote unquote what's a street car? I mean, yeah. To me, if your ball is big enough to drive it on the street, it's a street car. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Take inspection out of it completely, then. Yeah, I mean, if if you get a ticket, you get a ticket, but that's part of the it's part of the game, right? <laughs> yeah, chasing it. So. You guys have inspection in Maine then, do you? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we have here. And then I chat to some of the guys in Florida and one of the, North or South Carolina, I think, is the same. They don't have inspections. And I'm just like, my God, you get away yeah. with so much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, um, you know, same thing I have on my drag car, like a hood dump. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, I mean, if you've ever watched like uh, Cletus's YouTube channel, I mean, he lives down in Bradington and, you know, they, they drive that Ruby car on the street with, you know, open dumps and everything else no hood so it's it's you know it's kind of apples and oranges but just lucky they can get away with it yeah i mean but i mean it's not their fault that's the law no no (laughs) (laughs) you just take advantage of it yeah exactly excellent kind of like what is your definition of a streetcar that debate will rage for years yeah and there'll never be an answer to it i don't think so no before we let you go where can we find you on social media to follow your support your racing uh, yeah, so I use Instagram predominantly. You can find me there at ZMDLIT. And I have a YouTube channel, which is also linked on there. Kind of post a lot of GoPro videos and stuff like that from racing. So if you're looking to see what drag racing is all about, I usually have three or four GoPros on the car. So I have in-car, I have some on the roof and stuff like that. Yeah, we'll link those on our own social media for people to see as well then. So really appreciate you coming on. It's been a great insight into a sport that we don't know a whole lot about in this country. Best luck in the 2021 season, and we'll follow you closely. All right, I appreciate the time. Brilliant, thank you. All right, thanks. So before we go any further, can I just talk about one thing I learned in that? How sticky a drag racing track is? (laughs) Yeah, it's got glue on it. Or like some kind of solvent-y glue. Did, I know Lee seen it, Nigel. Did you see the video I dropped into the group chat today about it? Yeah, the, the guy had to be helped across. <laughs> yeah, guys walking out of their shoes. Their shoes falling off. <laughs> I showed Lee another one because for anyone that doesn't know, Lee hates children. And there was like this wee like, three or four year old kid obviously down the drag race and was dad. shoes fell off. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fallen over and I'm like, oh, this is funny because he's fell over. And then he starts to cry, and then that's when Lee starts to laugh. So Lee is officially <laughs> evil. <laughs> yeah, oh, so dear. that was crazy. But in my defense, it would have been equally funny if it was a grown-up person who fell on their face and then cried. I would still have laughed. Also true. <laughs> I I actually love that he mentioned as well his first foray into drag racing. His thought was the same along as everybody else. It always says, oh, how hard can it be? It's just driving in a straight line. Yeah. It turns out it is quite hard. Yeah. And the quicker you go, the harder it gets. I don't know. The unicorn makes it seem pretty easy. <laughs> Aye, four-wheel drive. <laughs> Another thing as well is, like, he's so deep into that world. He's talking there, his car is, what, somewhere in around 11, 1200 horsepower on the track. It's doing passes in the eight-second mark. 
and he talks about it so nonchalant as if this is just kind of the norm. It was just so casual, and yeah, yeah. Done done eight one there, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, <laughs> and I suppose if you're doing it, yeah, it is going to be the norm for you. But it's just mental to think about that over here. Some of the drag like days. I, I, Sorry, go I ahead. Think, I think uh, one of the drag days here. I think the best times were just over ten. That was Richard Bradley's eight hundred break Skyline and or two two hundred SX. SX. Uh, with Skyline engine and then Stevie Ross's Granada with a American turbo machine. Yeah. What is it? It's something mad as well, isn't you, it? Like Stevie'll never tell you what it is. Yeah. It's an American V8 out. with twin turbos on it. Is as much as we can get out of them. It is ridiculous, though. I think what I took from that there was amazing horsepower, amazing times into the low eights. Um, well, there's two things I sort of took from it. It's just the drag step racing over there is just like a. It's like a religion, and there's so many tracks and events you can go to. Yeah, it's everywhere. We are com- we we have nothing over here now, as you say. Ben used to organise the drag days. Now that's gone, and it's an absolute shame that that's gone. It is. Um, it, it's it's such a pity we don't have like dedicated tracks for it too, because you can imagine yeah. what the likes of Ben Null could do with that on a proper surface, proper times all the time. You know, I know they got yeah. the straightliner guys over a few times to do the the timed runs, but. It's obviously something you're having to get from a different country. And like realistically, we would only need one or two tracks because like Ireland's not very big. No. So like those guys in America are probably driving fucking 14 hours to the track and thinking nothing of it as they do. Whereas, you know, you'd never have to drive that far even in our, you know, if you were in the far reaches of Bantry to come to Derry is still not as far as that. No, definitely not. I've I've been to Santa Paul a few times like and... I think there's a subculture within a certain area of Santa Paul where guys that are in their cars, quarter mile is king. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think a, a lot of that is guys that have grown up in that area that have had access to that track for so long, you know, that it just has become the norm a bit like yeah. Zach where if he's living where every Friday everybody goes drag racing, well, that's what you do and that's what you get into. Yeah. I think Cletus McFarland channel hasn't really helped my uh, passion for drag racing either. Yeah, those guys um, have the temperature as well for the heat in the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing I took from it was I couldn't believe, and I never thought this was a thing. But at the end of the at the finish line, the because of the way they have the bias, the weight bias towards the front. Yep. That uh, cars are going over the finish line as they let off the power. The cars basically stand on its front. Yeah. What did he say? Was it like eight or ten inches of lift on the back wheels? <laughs> that's that's, that, that's one fifty plus miles an hour, isn't it? Yeah. That's just insane. Yeah. That is any wonder they're spinning out and crashing. <laughs> yeah and the big thing for me from it as well was like the setup of these cars is key and that ties into what you're saying even was the parachute placement if you have it too high it's going to lift the back end and accentuate what you just talked about i honestly thought like a lot of it was going to be pedaling off the line so like you know feather in the throttle try and get the car off but no it's all down to set up ecu control of the car and just give it to it and hang on it's just years of experience, product development, trying this, trying that. This works, this doesn't work. And know. tons of money, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks very much to Zach for coming on. Anybody wants yes, to check him out, much. we'll link his YouTube channel and his Instagram on our social media. But his YouTube is Zachary Martin and his Instagram is ZMDLIT. So, check him out indeed. Before we go any further, I'd like to talk about our sponsor, Reload Global. Reload Global are an enthusiast-owned company providing you with not only premium automotive apparel, but accessories such as garage banners, posters, stickers, and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland-based and are an official stockist for 8380 Labs in the UK and Europe. 
They help us make all this happen, so you can check them out at reload.global. So we'll move on to our questions then, and we have a handful in from our listeners. So we'll start from the bottom here and kick it off. We have AJMVW, Andy Maxwell, and he says, If we're allowed to attend car shows this year, what car of yours is going to be ready? The Jetta. Lee's going for the Jetta. I'm I'm making a promise right now. If I can find somebody to polish my wheels, guys, hit me up. Or, do you know what? I've actually got to the point now where I'm like, I don't even care. I'm literally going to spray them and just get it on the road because I just want it on the road. Get some chrome paint out of Halfords and away you go. No bother. I have used that (laughs) stuff before. It is horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm probably not going to have a car on the road this year in that regard. Like, the Bora's going to be driving and it's certainly no show car. What about you, Nigel? Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to get the Mark 1 out again. Yes. That, mean, that means I'm not going to be taking any long distances, like, because on motorways it's just hectic. It's <laughs> okay, I'll be um, there beside you in the Jetta. <laughs> I'm too, I'm too minds to bring the Corrado out again, or what to do. Um, Edition 30. Only if you put the good wheels back on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but one thing's for sure, there won't be a G60 Edition 1 on the road this year. <laughs> oh, boo. Mm. No, well, I love the Mark 1. I haven't seen it for a while. Get it back out. Yeah, big fan of the Mark 1. So our next one then is James Doherty 95 and he says, what's your thoughts for next year's shows? Will they go ahead? Also loving the podcast. Thanks very much, James. Thank you. Cheers. Next year, that would be 2022. Shows will definitely go ahead. Uh, um, well, we thought that maybe last year as well. <laughs> I think this year's going to be really funny. And not funny, haha. Yeah, I think... Just listen to the different government statements and all the rest of it. It's going to be a tricky one. I think car-wise, I think there'll be a lot of outdoor events. Yeah, which doesn't bode well for this country. Yeah. So, so yeah. But invest in a good rain jacket. <laughs> North Face. <laughs> yeah, well, if anybody's going to know, Nigel, you're the man in charge of that shit. No, don't, don't overplay my role. We're going to... <laughs> You're in charge of sacrificing the goats and stuff. Yep, you should you know. You have to sort it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Ronan underscore hits 21. Am I getting old that I think my screamer pipe needs recirculated? Yes, you big bitch. <laughs> oh, dear. What do you reckon, Nigel? Must be, very, must be very loud, is it? I don't know. Well, you have a screamer pipe in the Corrado. If you're, is yours dump into the exhaust or are you out open? But There's Nigel's that old. He's half deaf, so... Well, there you yeah. go. Just wait a few more years, there, Ronan. There's no finer noise than a screamer pipe telling you, like, your car's alive. It's just fantastic. <laughs> your waistcoat's working. Yeah. It's just... I remember... A VR6, a VR6 cylinder with a screamer pipe going, it's just bliss. The first time stop you took talk, me out... Stop talking, Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> the first time you took me out in the Corrado, like, literally, as soon as we come on boost and up through the gears, the first thing you said to me was, can you hear the screamer pipe? I was like, yeah, I can. <laughs> By the way, call back to f- getting old. How old did we all feel last night when Karsten was like, is it Max Power you call that magazine? Oh, oh my jeepers. God. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of comments the same. <laughs> you could tell all the old guys when that door opened into the crado, all the old guys went, Max Power! Yep, everybody knew exactly what the steering wheel was as well. <laughs> um, Eamon McGarry, he says, what would your favourite site slash YouTube channel be for build threads, etc.? One of my favourites, and it was one that you touched on, Nigel, uh, a couple of months back, was uh, Dan Chambers. Yeah. Shout out to Dan with the Mark 1 build. And that thing is insane, and the way he's tackling it's so interesting. So that's a big, big 
I'm a big, big it's, fan of that one. I think he's he's went down a road and just went, oh, well, I'm committed now. I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> Here he's getting it done. He's getting more than I'm done. Do, or yeah. getting more done than I am. But I like the way he puts in wee extra things. Like, he's bought a caddy to fix up and he would... He would he would video some of the jobs he would do for other people, and, and he is absolutely firing out content. Like, oh, he is. Yeah, the only thing is, he's turning into me and procrastinating and buying other cars. He needs to stick at the Mark One. <laughs> <laughs> you need a warehouse to keep all the projects in. Soon is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, I think you guys know what my favourites are. Like, but uh, it just sort of ties in with this. I think I put a question out there during the week on the uh, Instagram page. Just you did, what? Yeah. Uh, what what YouTube, what YouTube channels do you watch? So I've got an amazing response. So I'll read out a list here. You can hit rewind, but there's a list of about 50 channels here. We're in lockdown. If you're working from home, um, get watching these. So I'll read them out if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. So uh, Memphis, Night Ride, Chris Harris, Car Throttle, Goon Squad, Hoonigan, Ammo NYC, Humble Mechanic, Deutsch Auto Parts, Speed Academy, VHS Rallies, Hoovy's Garage, Number 27, Chapito Rally Crash. Is that Chapito or Chop It Off? Don't know, sounds, uh, My, sounds dodgy. <laughs> I think I had a stroke writing that one there. <laughs> Juice Box, The Smoking Tower, Mighty Car Mods, Retro Power, Soup Motorsport, Rich Rebuilds, Vinwicky, uh, uh, MCN, Late Break Show, Cletus McFarland, Yes, Bad Obsession, JP Details, Harry's Garage, Finnegan's Garage, Whistling Diesel, Volts Wizard, Philip Kays, uh, Official Gast, Car Faction, Rob Dam, White Details, Car Wide, Drift Games, Adam Ivel, Adam LZ, Camber and Co- Combustion, Hubnut, Scene Through Glass, TGE, James Dean, Becky Evans, Ian Terrell, M539 Restoration and Driftworks. So thanks for your input in that one. And yeah, I've watched most of them and most of them are bloody good. Like, So I mean, if you can't get something from that, there's definitely something wrong with you. There's basically about 10 years of video content there. So you can't say you've nothing to watch. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, our next one then is Emmett O'Leary, Emmett OL93. And he says, what's the plans this year for lockdown car wise or in general? Well, CarWise is just trying... Well, we're kind of in the middle of trying to get the guard sorted and get a working space back. Yeah. You want to get your Jetta done? Yes, please. I'll work away at that. What about you, Nigel? I'm just thinking about bad decisions and wheels from a Corrado, you know. <laughs> you made some bad decisions. Bring the there Pegasus only, back. There's only one decision there. <laughs> Bring back the Pegasus. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just locked in now. You know. It has to be done. Uh, I don't have any projects. Um, oh, well... Mark 6 GTI, but that's in the back burner. Um, so oh, you'll get that yet. Get that yet. Um, soon, sooner rather than later. So I'll hopefully have some good news very soon on that. Excellent. Our next one then is Gethin underscore GTI and I. And Gethin says, I think he has the inside track on this one too. Does the smell of farts ever get so bad in the studio that you need to stop recording, take a break, fumigate and resume it after the coast is clear? There was this one time in band camp when we were doing the old school method of sorting dub shit entries and it got so bad that a certain someone's house that we were pretty much asked to leave. Not personally guilty entirely, but the main contributor would have been a certain member of the Reload podcast team. <laughs> Any ideas guilty, who that was? Guilty as charged. I remember that <laughs> night. I think I, I had mean, curry the night before or something because that was hectic. You must have curry a lot because it can be hectic. <laughs> 
Yeah, to be honest, I'm glad we're uh, recording remotely at the minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think, can still I think I remember that. I think I remember that night, and I think I actually discussed myself, so it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good when you discuss yourself, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the input, Gethin. Cheers. Good, good, mo- <laughs> Talk about good motoring content. Good motoring content. Uh, and our last one then is from Chris Moran, Moran Chris on Instagram, and he says, "How do you get the motivation to work on cars at the moment? I've parts just piling up and zero motiva- motivation to put them on the ramp, and it'll be cold in the shed." You have a shed I- on a ramp, man. Get up, at it, mate. you bitch. <laughs> I think I have serious DFRitis at the moment. I'm kind of the opposite. Now, I do know what... You want to see the DIY... Oh, sorry, not, D- not DFRA. This can't be our status. <laughs> you want to see the DIY Connor's done around the house the last couple of weeks, and I'm like, you're just going mad not working at cars. <laughs> so, as many, Which is good for me, don't get me wrong. <laughs> anyone who knows me uh, will know that I can't sit still. I find it really difficult not to do anything. I think you're kind of like that usually, Nigel. Yeah. And... With not working at cars this last while, these hands need to be at something, and poor Lee just isn't up to it. So no. we have to do something around the house, <laughs> and I have been running cables. Uh, We're still talking about DIY here? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> I've just done so much stuff, and I know what Chris is saying. It can be really difficult this time of year, especially when it's cold and wet, and you just really can't be asked. I don't have that problem at the moment because I haven't got doing anything this last while. But I remember back in the day, especially, we would stand working at the polo and you were like, your hands were so cold, you couldn't feel what you were sanding. You know, you were doing like sanding in the engine bay or anything, or it just gets unbearable. There is times we just have to go, I have to get this done, just stick with it. But my God, it can be shit. Yeah, it's a tough time of the year, especially at the moment with what's going on, like, but uh, yeah. But as Lee says, if he has a ramp, I have no sympathy for him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it can be rough indeed. I think, uh, I don't think I'll be doing too much in cars. I think I want us to get this Mark 6 GTI to the road. I think I'm going to try and get the the track Mark 5 GTI because, as I said, outdoor events are going to be a thing. I think track days are going to be massive this year. Yeah, well, that's actually something Ronan and I were talking about a while back. And he was saying he thinks track days are going to open up before show cars. So if that is an option, I would definitely push towards that. I really I really want to try and get down to Modelo for a track day. So I'll do with it. Funny, it's a circuit I've never done and would like to do as well. I was sitting doing the sums. Like, it's a it's a three or four hundred pound day out, basically, for me. Yeah, yeah. I remember one of the listeners, Stephen Robb, telling me he had a TTRS at one point And he went on a track day. And he was like, oh, they're great fun and they're so cheap and blah, blah, blah. Not factoring in the fact that he destroyed four 19-inch tyres. Um, <laughs> brake pads were absolutely annihilated and the cost of fuel to run that thing, plus yeah. whatever wear and tear you're putting onto it. But you got a free dinner, yeah. which I think he was the most impressed with. Yes, he did get a free dinner with the guys that he went with, so he was very impressed oh. by that. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen's like myself, he's easy one over. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so... That's the last of the questions. I think we'll leave it there for this episode. What do you reckon, guys? Yep. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks again for the input. Yeah, indeed. So remember to watch out on Instagram for the lockdown logs. As Nigel said earlier, they're coming back and we will be sticking at them. Check out our latest for Kirsten. Kirsten's Instagram, she has been sharing as well, is at Kerpat Cars. You can find us on social media collectively at Reload Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I am at Connor McCann. I'm at Maxwell House 46. 
And I'm at VDubboy. And as always, remember to share the podcast with your friends, screenshot it, get on your Instagram and tag us. And we'll see you later, folks. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye.